Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Before we begin, please listen to the following legal disclaimer. This podcast is provided as a public service only. Information contained in this site is not intended as and should not be taken as legal advice. It is also important to remember that each situation is unique and at times complex. The application and impact of relevant laws will vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. There may also be delays, omissions, or inaccuracies in the information contained in the episode. While we would be happy to hear from you, please understand that merely contacting us does not create an attorney-client relationship. Also, the use of the information provided in the podcast episodes should not be taken as establishing any contractual or other form of attorney-client relationship between you, the listener, and any of the attorneys participating in the podcast. In most cases, but not all, the participants you hear in the podcast episodes are attorneys. However, we cannot become your attorney or represent you in any way unless... First, we know that doing so would not create a conflict of interest with any of the clients we represent, and second, satisfactory arrangements have been made with us for representation. Accordingly, please do not send us any information about any matter that may involve you unless we have agreed that we will be your lawyers and represent your interests, and you have received a letter from us to that effect. By continuing to listen to this podcast, you indicate your acceptance of this disclaimer. If you do not accept these terms, Please discontinue listening. Please enjoy today's episode, and thank you for listening. Today's episode covers the Marcellus and Utica Shale formations. Our guest is Joe Barron from Burtis and George, spelled like it sounds. You can also find that um, spelled out in the notes attached to the episode. I've worked with Joe for the past few years. He's provided the oil and gas valuations for most of my shale uh, estate planning and probate clients. He provides a lot of interesting uh, information and insights into the industry, including market pricing, infrastructure development, some of the secondary economic benefits of the industry that's coming to our area, and so on. We focused a lot of our attention on Pennsylvania and Ohio, which is fitting since we recorded a few days before the election as the candidates focused a lot of their attentions here as well. Uh, the oil and gas industry has focused their attention, again, in Ohio and Pennsylvania predominantly, with slightly less interest in West Virginia and New York State for a couple of reasons, and we'll touch on that briefly in the episode. Uh, Joe had so much good information to share, the episode goes a little longer than usual, but I'm going to stop telling you about it and let you listen to episode four. Enjoy. Uh, Joe, thanks for coming out today. I wanted to give an overview on the oil and gas market today. Obviously, it's a big topic in the area and has been for quite some time. But just give me your, your high points of Utica Shale right now. Sure. Uh, first, I'd like to say thank you for, for having me today and look forward to discussing oil and gas issues. And more importantly, how these issues will affect gas rate owners in the Utica and Marcellus region. Um, currently, uh, short-term wholesale natural gas prices have been trading in the mid $3 range for the past couple of weeks now. Uh, and then wholesale, um, oil wholesale prices have been, have dropped down to the mid, uh, mid $80, $80 range. Okay, for, for the folks who are not so industry tied as yourself, uh, what does wholesale uh, gas pricing mean? 
Um, the wholesale gas price relates to the price of gas physically traded at the Henry Hub in South Louis Southeast Louisiana. Uh, the New York Mercantile Exchange, or the NYMEX, um, trades financial contracts that indicate what market participants uh, expect trading uh, out into the future uh, at this physical location. Uh, oil is based off of the West Texas Intermediate Index that is based on the oil uh, that is physically traded in Cushing, Oklahoma. So sort of the point of sale where, where buyers and sellers are getting together, whether it's Louisiana or uh, via paper exchange in New York. That's correct. Okay. Uh, what other locations would they be trading? Um, for example, there's many, for, in natural gas, there are, there are many different trading points. Uh, for example, uh, the Columbia Gas Transmission or Dominion South Point Index uh, are, are two commonly utilized trading points for Southeast, uh, Southeast Ohio and Western Pennsylvania. Uh, these points traditionally have traded at a premium to the Henry Hub. Um, however, with, uh, with the addition of, new, with a, of a new pipeline, uh, that several years ago uh, designed to bring supply in from the Rockies to Ohio and Pennsylvania and the increased development of the uh, Marcellus uh, they, they've been trading at a negative uh, to the Henry Hub recently you know, compare that to just a few years ago these two trading points uh, the Columbia Gas Transmission and the Dominion South Point uh, indexes had traded somewhere between 25 cents and a 75 cent uh, per MMTU premium uh, to the Henry Hub. So you mentioned a new pipeline a, a few years ago. What pipeline was that? That was the Rockies Express. Okay. And are we, ex I mean, my understanding is that there will, we'll be seeing a lot more pipeline infrastructure being built over the next decade or so. Absolutely. It's going to be critical for the development of, of the Utica and the Marcellus uh, to be able to get not only the natural gas, but the uh, liquids and oil uh, to market. Okay. My understanding also is that at the present, we're getting a lot of, uh, these pipelines are going sort of south to north from Louisiana, for example, up here to PA. But we are hoping to see that direction reverse sometime in the near future, right? Absolutely. There, there have been times uh, recently where we have so much gas supply coming onto the market um, that it, it enabled to get it to a marketplace, it is actually reversing the flow on these pipelines, and you're seeing an increased activity of that uh, as uh, as more production comes online. Okay, and, and we may be getting ahead of ourselves here. Uh, I might be pushing the agenda a little bit, but but given that the price is so low right now, is that directly tied to the increase in production? It seems obvious from a, from a simple economics that that's what's happening, but it also seems like there's some pieces that are missing, like this infrastructure isn't here yet. So the fact that we have production is, is fine, but it, it still is very much influencing the market. Absolutely. And you can see that as an in, uh, when you look at the number of wells that have been drilled but not completed, that number has increased year over year for the past two and a half years. So if you look at, uh, you have a lot of pent-up supply that can hit the marketplace uh, in a very short period of time. We've never had that opportunity uh, in this country before. Okay. Um, so in the past, there would be a, a longer lead time between increase in pricing and then increase in drilling that then would result in increased production. Now you're seeing uh, even a slight increase in pricing will be able to bring on uh, supply in a very short period of time. Okay. You mentioned also, there's a couple of things that you mentioned now. I want to make sure I, I try to underscore those. You mentioned trading at a negative. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that the price here locally is less than 
the price you would pay in Louisiana? That's correct. Okay. It sort of seemed counterintuitive where, especially as we approach winter, folks are going to need more fuel here than there. Yes. But it's, it's what is that based on? Um, it's based on just the, amount of the, the, the supply being brought onto the marketplace and, and not having a, a market um, for that supply and the lack of infrastructure that we were just talking about, um, not being able to get that, that to market that, so that whatever gas is trading has to trade at a negative um, in order to get into the marketplace. To get buyers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so we've, we've sort of hit on some of these, but why don't you go into a little more detail about some of the things that do influence that price. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if we haven't covered any of those to this point, why don't you, you know, pick up some of the other pieces that we haven't added yet? Sure. Um, oil and gas have their own set of uh, factors that determine price. Uh, there are some that overlap, such as the general economy and weather. Um, for natural gas, things like storage levels, rig count, and critical aspects uh, that impact prices. Um, currently, we're working on uh, natural gas and storage of about 3.8 BCF of gas, and, and this this number is uh, close to the upper end of the five-year uh, average range. So we very well may go into this winter period with record level uh, record level of gas and storage. Um, it's kind of indication that you know we very well might make, might get in that direction is uh, Baker Hughes um, uh, rig count. Uh, rose by five uh, recently uh, to uh, a total of 427 active units uh, for the uh, weekend of October 19th. Um, oil in, decreased by one uh, to 1410 units. Um, these are pretty substantial units, especially on the oil side. And that's an indication of the direction of drilling activity pointing more towards oil than, than natural gas. Um, EIA uh, projects average uh, household expenditures for heating oil and natural gas to increase by 15 and um, uh, 19 and 15 percent, respectively, for winter. Um, you know, in comparison to the last winter, um, and then projected household expenditures are five percent higher for electricity uh, and and 13 percent higher for propane this winter uh, compared to you know, last winter um, actual usage. So in terms of, you know, I guess this is all, you could look at this from an investment and speculation on oil futures and gas futures and things like that. But as a landowner uh, who is either under lease or considering entering into a lease, does this mean that production with, with, you know, you think gas and storage sounds like a good thing, right? We have plenty of gas and storage, except for the economics of it in terms of if you want to sell it at a higher price, well, the supply is high, so the demand will be low or the price will come down accordingly. Um, what does this mean for production in the area? If, I'm, if I've signed a lease on my, on my land and I have a five-year lease and I'm wondering what's going to happen in the next four because I'm a year into it at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, there's short-term and longer-term dynamics um, that come into play. And, and like we talked about, lack of infrastructure needs to come into place first before you're going to see um, a wholesale um, more, you know, larger drilling activity. And you're not going to see that until uh, you see some pricing come on, uh, pricing come up a little bit on a more longer term uh, uh, time frame. You know, we may have some blips this, this winter if we get a, a real cold blast. Um, and so you might have, you might see a spike into the $4 range. Um, that's not going to be a large enough of, uh, of an indication for producers 
to go ahead and spend the money to you know put you know five seven million dollars per well down um, to get you know a, a lot higher drilling activity. They're going to know need to know that there's a home uh, home for their their production uh, and and they need to know that pricing is going to be substantial enough long term to get that uh, to get that drilling activity up. Is it is that as simple as you know, I'm, I'm gas company X, I've drilled a well, I've drilled a horizontal, and I shut it in. I'm waiting for the prices to recover. I'm waiting for the market infrastructure to be there to, to get this to market and so on. Is it as simple as flipping a switch or opening a faucet to get that product to come out of the ground at that point? It, it depends on the status of the well. It can. Yeah, some wells are, are, if they're completed and, that they're, and fracked um, and, and just they have the valve shut off on it, yes. Um, it can be, there's many different stages that they kind of, they, they'll leave the wells in. Um, so, and so some of them could be just a turn of a, of a switch. Some of them could be come in and spend a little bit more money and complete the fracking stages and then put the gas onto the market, which that will only, I mean, that process takes a month. So you're mm-hmm. talking anywhere from a month to instantaneous. Okay. It's not. It's not like a guy in Fort Worth, Texas, just sitting with, with an app on his smartphone and goes, <laughs> "Open up all the wells in Western PA. The gas prices come up three points. Let's go and then shut it down." It's not uh, that simple. It, it's but. not that simple, but uh, you know, compared to in the past where it was, you know, pricing is up. Can we get what kind of capital can we get to put in ten more wells as opposed to five more wells? And that whole long process, which which you know may take anywhere from a year to three years. I, and again, I don't want to keep us off topic, but I'm, I'm curious about this point. So, so does that impact? You know, you've, we've talked at length in the past about the the duration of a well, for example, being twenty somewhere between twenty and fifty years, depending on who's who, a, a variety of factors, the yeah. pressure and the the product itself, and so on. Um, does the opening and closing of that valve, the, the shutting it in and, and, and leaving it dormant for a period of time like that, does that impact the overall lifespan or is it too soon to tell that? Um, it, it depends on how long it, you know, they've been shut off. I've had an example of a, of a landowner that has a well on their property and it is, uh, you know, the, the choke, it's choked back you know, 50%. And so it's not necessarily going to affect the long-term length of, of the production, but of... Um, of the well, um, it may, I guess, uh, in, in a way affect it because um, you'll, you'll see short-term blips where you'll see really high production where, where they would open up the, the valve completely. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see that. I mean, overall, you're really not going to see much of a change. Okay. So the, the ultimate capacity of any given well is pretty much going to be stable it's just a matter of when that's withdrawn. Exactly. You mentioned the choking back. Now, that's if I'm understanding correctly, that's a that's a method where the valve isn't open fully, right? You're, Correct. You're giving some degree of flow, but some restriction at the same time. That's right. And then, and again, you're saying that that won't affect things. Uh, obviously, it will be less production and less to market, but it won't protect the overall. It won't affect the overall production. Right. Rate. I mean, if you're looking at a well that has that has access to you know five bcf of gas. It has access to five BCF of gas, mm-hmm. and it's just going to be a matter of how that flows out of there. Sure, and I guess you know, as a landowner, let's let's say I'm a landowner in my eighty fifth year, 
you know, and, and I'm counting the number of birthdays I may have left, I would want them to open that fully and get, you know, get the, the production. Absolutely. Unless I've done some sort of planning and I want it to stay in there for my kids, or, you know, yep. things like that. But I guess you're going to have any variety of as number the number of uh, landowners in any given unit are going to have a different number of uh, uh, expectations for that company yes. at any given time, right? Um, well, okay, so, so we've talked a little bit about the industry in general. Let's let's talk specifically now about Utica and Marcellus. We're here in this area, Western PA, also into Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the folks who may be listening to this are going to be in those regions, and and um, why don't you give us a sort of uh, an update on what the industry looks like now in this area. Sure. Um, the, um, there have been a lot of changes in the Utica and Marcellus region, including Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and even New York somewhat. Um, but we expect a whole lot more to change, uh, to, a whole lot more change to come. Um, in general, Ohio has been rich in coal, offshore uh, wind energy potential, but has have uh, they've had relatively few other energy resources. Uh, the Appalachian Basin, which crosses the eastern part of the state, holds considerable reserves of coal, small deposits of oil, and uh, conventional natural gas. The basins for Utica and Marcellus shale formations um, also contain a significant amount of unconventional shale gas. Um, uh, with uh, a large population and heavy, uh, heavily indus- industrial economy, Ohio is, a, is among one of the top states for total energy consumption. Uh, the uh, industrial sector dominates the energy consumption largely due to uh, several intensive industries, including chemicals, um, glass, metal castings. So uh, although Ohio's crude oil production has been minor, uh, the state is second in refining capacity in the Midwest. Uh, nearly all of Ohio's crude oil output uh, is derived from stripper wells, which are wells producing fewer than 10 barrels uh, per day. Um, in the eastern part, and that's in the eastern part of the state. Uh, Ohio's four uh, refineries um, primarily depend on crude oil, crude oil delivered by pipeline from Gulf Coast and through oil transportation hub in central Illinois. Um, so they have a large network of um, product pipelines that connect to its refineries uh, to markets in Ohio and adjacent states. Um, Ohio's total petroleum demand is high, and uh, and, they, and they consume a large amount of uh, motor uh, gasoline as well. Um, okay. So, so let me interrupt you for sure. a second. So it's, it sounds like you're you're casting dispersions on the people of Ohio. You're saying they've consumed a lot of oil and gas, and they've consumed a lot of electric. So so in terms of the nation, the flow of energy is coming outside of the state of Ohio and coming into it. And, and again, not, not to yeah. say that the folks in Ohio don't know how to turn their TVs off, but this is the industry is using a lot. And there, there's a lot of travel. There's a lot of uh, transportation. It's obviously is a, a you know, heartland of America. This is Absolutely. trucking going through there constantly from one place to the other. So Absolutely. I mean, that, that's, that's uh, the, 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 um, been a main um, state as far for industrial output for this country. So... Um, they they need a lot of energy in the state and for um, for jobs and for people to um, you know to get through life they they need to um, have the resources that they that they that they have been using um, so it, it is in that's historically how the state has been um, a lot is changed uh, recently and a lot is changing even more with the Utica development 
which is primarily an oil, um, you know, an oil producing formation. Uh, it's set up because of its history to be able to handle it pretty well. Okay, so historically speaking, they've they've drawn a lot of energy and and um, natural resources and fuel and so on from outside of the state, but we may. Uh, zero that out or in, in, in fact increase it so Ohio now may become a producer that exports this uh, the gas and power out of the state to other places right absolutely yeah they, they, they Ohio has a, a number of counties that has uh, economically producible Marcellus um, formation uh, and in that formation some of it is only gas some of it is gas and liquids um, but then they also have the Utica and, and, and a couple others that are primarily oil um, producing. Um, so again, back to our prior conversation about infrastructure, um, they have enough infrastructure today the way things are set up. However, uh, with the amount of oil that, that is being produced and the number of, uh, of Utica wells that have been drilled recently, um, they are in the need of infrastructure not only for gas but for oil as well. Okay, so there's, so there's still a few pieces. I mean, how long will it take, do you think, um, for the state of Ohio to have the facility? I mean, it's really a, not a state of Ohio issue. It's a, it's, a, it's a federal issue, I mean, to be able to supply the rest of the country with this resource. How long will it take? What kind of lag time are we talking about before this is fully sort of operational? Yeah, it's it, it's it's not going to be that you turn a switch and all of a sudden everything will be available. You're going to see pieces being put in place gradually. Okay. And you'll see it, you know, as you see um, development in certain states, you're going to see the infrastructure being put in place in those or in counties. As you see the development in certain counties, you're going to see the infrastructure going from those counties to the refineries to market. And so it's going to be a gradual puzzle that's being put in place. And, and, and they're working on it now. A lot of the utilities that have old pipeline infrastructure for, for natural gas are looking to convert those over to oil. Um, so they have, there's, there's a lot of pieces that just take some time to do that. I mean, you'll start to see some, some substantial um, movement in infrastructure in you know, one to two years. For certain counties, then and then it's just going to con continue to roll out and roll out, roll out. Okay. So similar to, I mean, we could look back at the old uh, railroad maps from the 1800s. We could look at the uh, the federal highway system in the 50s and 60s as that developed. It's mm -hmm. kind of a similar structure, right? Absolutely, and you're seeing the same thing. The same thing that happened in, in Pennsylvania is is what will happen in, in Ohio. Especially you look at the northeast corner of the state uh, where you had a lot of wells initially. Um, they were all developed right along a pipeline, and they gradually started to move out. Well, it got to the point where it was just too much potential being too much potential gas being pent up, and so um, larger midstream pipelines were built. And then parts of the county that had no activity all of a sudden have a number of wells and a number of, of permits for additional activity. And you'll see the same thing happen in Ohio for both natural gas and oil. Okay. So again, back to back to my 85-year-old landowner. If he's near some of this infrastructure, he's probably thinking he's got a better chance to be produced sooner than later. Uh, but really, I mean, those decisions are somewhat arbitrary. I and mean, that does influence them, but not necessarily. He may not be a target. He just has to be patient, I guess. There's many factors in, in pipeline infrastructure and other in type of infrastructure is just one piece of the puzzle. 
Okay, well, and, and I think a lot of the folks in Ohio are, to some degree, looking to PA to, to find how did this progress there, mm-hmm. because it sort of seems to be a cycle where five or six years ago, Marcellus was just sort of uh, generating some, some leasing, and, and so a few wells were being drilled and so on. And now Ohio is sort of certainly not that minimal as it was in PA, but you know, Ohio is now being introduced, or places in Ohio, I should say, are being introduced to this industry yeah. for the first time in this capacity. And they've had, obviously, a history of these shallow wells and, and Clinton and Berea wells and things like that. But this horizontal fracking and the, the, the leasing that goes along with it, this is new to places in Ohio. Tell me a little bit about PA and what's happened over the last six years. Sure. Um, PA's been, been kind of similar to Ohio. Um, they have a very large industrial sector um, that, that consumes a lot of energy. And we have some of the similar types of industrial um, uh, demand from chemical manufacturing, glass making. Uh, we have some petroleum um, uh, refining as well. Um, they're, they're one of the leading uh, petroleum refining states in the Northeast, uh, which has been, been helpful um, and for some of the um, areas in the state that had more cells production from it, that is in the wet area where it contains liquids and oils. Um, so that, that, that has, has, um, has helped out. Um, they're, um, again, similar to Ohio. They've had minor um, natural gas production uh, from shallow wells. Um, but in the state has uh, covered greatly by the Marcel Shale. Um, most, of the, most of the development has been in the northeast sector and then in the... Um, um, southwest counties in Washington and Green counties, um, some in Beaver as well. Um, so, because a couple of reasons there. Uh, in, in the northeast section, you have um, the uh, Marcellus that is at its greatest thickness. Um, so, you have wells, it's, it's dry gas, there's no liquids or oil associated with it, um, but it, the wells coming out are pretty prolific for their, their you know, initial production coming out at. Uh, you know, 4,000 a day, uh, 4,000 MMBTUs a day, 10,000 MMBTUs a day are not uncommon in, in, in that area. Um, so it can, uh, you know, drive a lot of supply. In the, in the southwest uh, corner of the state, Marcellus, um, has come into play where you have some of the liquids and oils associated with it. So even when gas prices um, have been historically low, um, you'll have, you know, you've had continued development in the southwest parts of, of Pennsylvania um, because of those condensates and, and oil. Um, that drives down the cost of, of drilling uh, tremendously and you really don't, you know, some, some producers have stated they don't really care if they produce gas because they can make a profit on the oil and the liquid condensates uh, without any gas production. So, so it, it's easier to produce if, there's, if there are liquids in the... In the I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, it, well, it's it, it's it's not easier to produce. It's actually more complicated to produce because you have then three different revenue streams, and you have to have refinery. And you have it, it adds to the complexity of getting the gas to market mm-hmm. and whatever well, and the product to market because you have gas condensate and oil it could be and, compression and, stations to, it, to absolutely mm-hmm. and and different types of infrastructure you need to get. Um, you'd have to have a refinery. You'd have to have a processing plant to take out the liquids, um, and, and that costs money. Um, but again, you're 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 
um, receiving revenue from three different revenue streams as opposed to just one. Okay. More difficult to get to market, but much more profitable. Okay. And the liquid condensates and oil um, are traded on the West. The oil is traded off of West Texas, like we talked about, but the liquids are have their own trading markets. But those are all based off of a, an oil type of pricing. Okay. So they can trade anywhere from say forty percent of the of the West West Texas index to about 85-90% depending on the supply and demand of those specific products. Interesting. We're talking about there, we're talking about uh, methane, butane, things like butane, that. Butane, right? yes. Okay. The, the liquid condensates in the dry gas. Um, well, and, it, and I think it's important to take a break every so often and tell the folks in Texas that remember that this started here, right? 1859, the first yes. oil well was here in PA. That's right. So, um, just like to say that every now and then to remind those folks. Um, so here in PA, we've it's been developing, and we've seen some of our landowners um, have seen you know ridiculously large checks for just owning a piece of hunting land in in, in Washington County or Greene County or something like that. Um, how how would you say is that the same and, and different as far as the expectations of the folks in Ohio looking to PA? You know, I know I've heard of a lady who had X amount of acres and she gets X amount of dollars a month. What should they expect, or is it going to be similar or different? Tell me about that. I, I, it's going to be um, well. Everyone's going to be in a different situation, so no no two people, no two situations are going to be the same. There's many different factors when you get into. Um, what people receive from royalties. Uh, it's based off of a formula that, you know, what is your, your, your royalty percentage that is in your lease? Um, what, are, what, what if any, any deductions are allowed um, off of your royalty, royalty stream? Um, the types of, of, of you know, product that will be coming out of the wells? And then also a big factor is uh, the type of how, how the uh, how your acreage was put into a, a unitization. So, you know, if you had 200 acres um, but only had 50 acres put into a unit, whereas, you know, your neighbor had 200 acres but all 200 was put into a unit, you know, your net revenue, your net royalty payment, and your net royalty percentage is going to be substantially different. Sure, and then add, add to that complexity the number of wells that are producing at any given time on that unit. Absolutely, yeah, because you put into a well pad, and, and these days, um, you know, I've gone to one well pad that had 20 different laterals coming oh, off of wow. it. Um, you go to others, and especially in the early days, um, when they're only putting down one or two, um, you know, that's uh, completely different. So, and not to say that if they put down five or six one day that, Two years later, they're not going to come in and do two more or something. So it's sure. it's uh, yeah, it, it can that can make a big difference. They have uh, they have some business decisions to consider there as well, right? One, if I get one well drill in this unit, I've essentially held that unit by production. I can move to other places. Absolutely. They have some, especially when they take uh, they take on a large acquisition of land. Uh, they have to maintain that production. They only have a, a period of time to get that production started, or they have to renew those leases. That's right, and what, like we, we talked about, is how, like this area has several areas, several counties in both Pennsylvania and Ohio that overlap between Utica and Marcellus and, and others, um, where you know, they may drill down to the, to the Marcellus, or have already drilled down to the Marcellus and, and have production on it. Um, and if it's 
if, if they decide, you know, close to the end of those wells that um, they will it's economical to drill down to the Utica or other formations, they very well could go from the exact same well pad and drill down to other, other formations. So, you know, this is something where you look at, you know, how long term this is, and we talk about the how long a well could possibly, you know, the life of that well. Um, you know, we're in an area where, you know, one well, you know, after 10 years, 30 years, 50 years could, you know, be shut in, but your revenue stream then could get picked up in almost the same type of, uh, of uh, you know, decline curve uh, based on some other formation. Okay, so so my, my 85-year-old guy, let's call him Mr. McGillicuddy. He needs a name. I've talked about him enough today. Mr. McGillicuddy's sitting there. He just signed a lease. He hasn't been drilled yet. He's hoping that he's included in uh, a smaller pool of production that has 20 wells on it that goes into production and, and starts producing wildly and drains this thing as quickly as humanly possible, in his case, because his clock's ticking. But other folks may want to create a legacy out of this, and the slower production may be more beneficial if it's something that they're going to do sort of a, a long-term planning for their grandkids' college education and so on. Uh, boy, it's interesting. There's so many, there's so many levels of this that, that just, I mean, it, every time you start thinking about it, there's so many different things, and each person's perspective on what they actually want is, is, can be as wildly varying as the, the ages of these people or Absolutely. the places that they've been and traveled. So, Okay, so, so um, the, some of this infrastructure is in place. I, I know that in the last, what is it, six months or so that the, the cracker plant was discussed and who gets it, and I know West Virginia and Ohio and Pennsylvania were all three vying very sort of enthusiastically to get this plant on their on their state lands, and uh, it's in PA, you know where this whole started. Um, tell me about that cracker facility and and why were the states so enthusiastic about getting it, and what does it mean to the state of PA to have won that, and maybe what does it mean to West Virginia or or Ohio to not have gotten that cracker mm -hmm. facility? Well, I, everyone, you know, this the status of it is definitely it's it's not set in stone that it'll be coming to Pennsylvania, but they've you know they're going down that path to 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 explore that, and, and it seems from all signals that that I hear that you know so far it's it's you know nothing no red flags have come up saying that no it's not going to be put into into Beaver County. Um, and also, there are rumors, and they're just rumors, but that there are, you know, potentially two or one or two others that are now being considered in the area because of the amount of potential uh, liquids and, and oil that are that are that are you know trapped under in, in the shale formations. So you know, potentially there could be more, um, but what it means uh, for the area around where these cracker plants are are built are thousands of jobs. And uh, it's it's very good for the economy, um, f for the local economies of, of where these are, are, are located, and that's not even counting the add-on jobs. The 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 companies that use the output from the cracker facilities, the chemical companies, that instead of now having that source in in Pennsylvania or in the, in the Appalachian area in general. Uh, and then having to pipe it or ship it to their locations, they'll be looking to locate near the cracker facility in Beaver County. So, you know, when, when people look at the amount of jobs that are created, um, it, it, that's just a drop in the bucket compared to what, you know, this is, uh, that will be added um, over time. 
Um, so it, it's one of those things, and, and, and it's um, it's a good thing for the for, for the from the jobs perspective. It's not necessarily a bad thing from Ohio um, not getting the cracker because a lot of their a lot of development, at least for for now, has been on the eastern side of the state, um, which would be close to the Beaver you know Beaver Cracker facility, um, which that production can easily be transported pipeline all over to that facility. So just because the facility is located um, in Beaver County, Pennsylvania, that doesn't prohibit any of the, the production. It'll help the production in Ohio and West Virginia uh, just as much as it would for, for Pennsylvania because all of those wells will, be, you know, will have pipelines directed to that plant. And, and the industry will be drawn to that area, whether they are in Youngstown, Ohio, or, or Weirton, West Virginia, or something like that. Absolutely. Much like the steel industry of years gone by, yes. this is a sort of uh, an area that's that's versed in inviting industry to be here and live among us. And so, on. so, so we're going to see. I think you know, we've I've heard a lot about that too. We're going to see a lot of that kind of industry presence here. Yes. Um, just for the sake of going through the motions here, what exactly happens at the Cracker facility? You know, we talk about it a lot, yeah. but, but go ahead and break it down for us. Which you, what happens at the Cracker, you, when, when wet gas and liquids are, are, are produced out of one well, um, you need to take that and get it through a processing facility, and that separates the liquids from the, from the natural gas. And then when those liquids are then transported to a cracking facility, and the cracking facility, those are you know, zapped with electricity and, 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 and treated in a way that will com- continue to break those components down um, into, um, into components that, that then will be used for chemical companies and um, plastic companies uh, to develop their products. So it's kind of like the DuPont, old DuPont advertisement, we, we make the things that go and make everything else. You're right, right, right. Um, so again, those are the kinds of uh, sort of secondary economic be- benefits of having something like this come to the area. That's right. All of these other industrial companies will come to be close to it to avoid having to ship the products from there right. a long distance to their facility. And, and all, all of these plants are, are, you know, will take several years to build as well. And so that's, you're looking at, it's not going to be a, a boom and bust situation. You're going to see the cracker facility being placed in. Then you're going to have, you're going to see the pipelines being built to put in the, get to the product to the, to the cracker. Then you'll see the other chemical facilities being put into place. And those will take a couple of years. So this is a very long term um, you know, phenomenon that we're that we're looking at. Sure, and I would I would imagine too, and this is just speculation here, but I would imagine also that the cracker facility facilitates the production. It's going to encourage those uh, those wet gas wells to be opened wide open. Yes, uh, it's going to encourage then the sale price to be higher because now we're going to have industry right here demanding that product and so on. Exactly. So uh, all of that goes to the infrastructure being in place. This is part of that infrastructure benefit of, of having a developed market to sell this product. You know, yes. That's how it affects our landowners, right? Yep. Okay. Um, um, days away from the election, uh, let's talk about how does uh, government regulations, how will we see that, uh, I'm not asking you to predict the future here, but how do you su- suppose the um, uh, 
state regulations will impact the industry itself. It seems to me, just, just from my perspective, uh, there's been a little more um, governmental encouragement from Ohio to bring the industry there than maybe relative to what Pennsylvania maybe uh, is, is inviting. Now, Pennsylvania also had the Marcellus issues early on and some of the, the, um, the negative impact of this industry that we saw early on that's, I believe, been largely corrected in the, in the standard operating procedures of these companies. But tell me about how the state of Pennsylvania or the state of Ohio, the state of West Virginia, is going to impact or encourage this industry. Well, I think you have, in, in Pennsylvania, you have uh, Governor Corbett that has been um, supportive of, of responsible development, uh, and, and I think you're going to con- continue to see that. You had a lot of cooperation um, between uh, the industry and the Corbett administration for developing um, the you know, impact fees. So they, you know, he said that he did not want to have a... Um, uh, any taxes on the gas production, um, which is different from o- Ohio and, and, and West Virginia. Um, so that is a way that I think they've, they've attracted business in, in keeping the, the, the tax impact from production down, um, which is, you know, Ohio's been touting their, their, their shale for a while now. Um, that being said, you know, the taxes that they have in place put them at a little bit of a disadvantage to uh, Pennsylvania. Um, so that's um, just just something to, to keep in mind. But there, I, I think Ohio has been um, supportive of responsible development, um, just like Pennsylvania has. Um, but I think there's also, you know, just the, the pure economics of it makes them a little bit less competitive than than, than Pennsylvania. And so, so there is some influence, maybe not, maybe not necessarily a go or no go decision being made because of severance tax, but it does influence the decision to a degree. Absolutely, it, it, it's not it, it, severance taxes for it, for Ohio and West Virginia is not anything. It, it's not as so substantial that you know a producer is going to say, you know what, we're just not going to come into that that state. Right. Um, is it is it a small you know hurdle inconvenience? Yes. And it's something they have to run through their calculations in terms of absolutely what is the actual value of this. You look at the formation, and and, and if you're going to be in, uh, if you're going to drill in, um, say Lawrence County on the border of Ohio, or do you go over to that corresponding county in, in Ohio? Um, which one are you going to drill on? Because right. you're say looking at probably you know a very similar formation, thickness, depth, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. So where are you going to make the best? You know, that is areas where it will make a difference. Okay. That's interesting, though. I mean, if you look at, you know, specifically the panhandle of West Virginia, that tri-state area right there, essentially the formation is the same on either side of the state lines. Yes. Um, But over the last year, maybe a little more than a year, we've seen most of that activity shift across to Ohio. Yes. Why? Why is that happening? It's, I mean, it's partially because they said the severance tax in West Virginia is higher than it is in, in um, is higher than Ohio, mm-hmm. and, and so you have that that border, and, and you have that sliver of West Virginia. And you're right; you're looking at, you know, historically you saw the development on the border counties in Pennsylvania, and and that then you saw you know the the uh, development in Ohio, and those counties in in uh, in West Virginia um, have been largely skipped over. Um, there's still had there's been some development in those counties, and they're and they are small geographically, but 
um, they've had very little development. It's so uh, curious. Yeah. Yes. It's so curious. But And, and I, will, I will reserve the right to make jokes about West Virginia later. I won't do that now. <laughs> um, and I asked you before, I, 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 well, I promised you that I wouldn't ask you to predict the future. But what do you see happening in Ohio in the next uh, two years or so? I think you're going to continue to see um, some responsible development there. You're going to see, um, I, I think... Uh, from a state aspect, you're, you're going to see continued regulations to make sure that things happen in, uh, in a responsible, safe manner. Um, but nothing, no hurdles that, that entities will come in and say, you know what, I'm not going to do anything in Ohio anymore. Kind of like the, what, what uh, several of the producers said about operating in Allegheny County in Pennsylvania. You know, when they had the moratorium that um, was eventually lifted, but... You know they had that in place, and, and there were there were entities that said, you know, we're not going to do anything there. Mm-hmm. You know that's lifted, and you know there's some activity towards the airport area of, of, of the of the county, and people are and those entities are starting to to look at coming back. So, you know, really don't see anything that that to that drastic extent that will happen in Ohio from a regulatory um, standpoint or from a from a taxation standpoint. Um, the whole industry is very concerned about. Uh, from a federal level, um, the EPA coming in with regulations on um, air pollution and, uh, and, and water pollution, and they are concerned about, uh, depending on who wins, that that might be an impact uh, for the whole industry. Sure. Um, you know, we haven't talked much about areas, uh, we certainly haven't talked at all about anything outside of uh, these three states. Um, you mentioned moratorium. Let's talk a little bit about. Uh, give me five minutes on New York and what's happening in the state of New York. The um, the, the moratorium has lifted in New York. Um, however, they do not have their um, rules and regulations in place to to um, permit um, to process permitting for um, unconventional wells, uh, and they have been working on those. Uh, actually, I want to say about for for about a year now. Uh, that is that is coming to, to play, and there were rumors that uh, Governor Cuomo was going to announce the the, the regulations uh, back during, I think, the beginning of September. Um, he did not, and uh, has has come out publicly and stated that he's not sure when those will be coming forward. Um, interesting thing about uh, New York the moratorium was against. Um, hydraulic fracturing. There were are examples of entities that actually drilled into the Marcellus horizontally during the moratorium and used a, um, a method of fracking other than hydro. Mm-hmm. So they would use nitrogen or some other form that uh, took the place of the hydro. And, and, and so there, there has been some development in the state of uh, like New York. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, and, and for the folks, you know, fracking has been around for a long, long, long time, uh, and the awareness of these, of these formations has been around for a long time. The technology recently to make that 90-degree turn and go horizontally through a seam like this, uh, coupled with, I guess there was some technology involved as well in terms of the, the actual chemicals that were used in the brine and so on, but they, my understanding is that they're also... Ultimately, the function of that hydraulic fracturing is water is pressurized 
to amplify cracks that are made in this in the seam. That's so right. it doesn't necessarily need to be water creating that pressure. You're saying nitrogen is something I've heard of uh, synthetic muds yeah. that are pushed yeah. in there at high pressure. Some type of foam substance. Yes. Right. So. Um, yeah, it's interesting just to think what the, what the objective is there is not to put something in that seam. You know, they're not introducing these chemicals because it it um, is required to generate the pressure. It's just a way to keep those cracks open predominantly, right? That's correct. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to see that there could be technologies there that make this even uh, a different, uh, the, eliminate the need for the, the chemicals in that process or those types of chemicals. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's a, the, you know, the industry is looking at that um, because there are shale formations all over the world. And you look at like Africa, for example, where, you know, water is, is such a scarce resource that, you know, long term, uh, they do have shale deposits um, throughout that, that continent. Um, so in order to really develop those, they'll need some type of technology other than water to really fully develop those, those resources. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting to see this develop. Well, listen, Joe, I'm sure that Mr. McGillicuddy and all of the listeners are very pleased to have had all this information. I know myself, I'm going to listen to it two or three times to make sure I capture all of this in my, in my brain here. But um, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about what you do on a, on a regular basis, you know, what your job is and, and how you're so involved in the industry, and then let them know how to get a hold of you if, if they have some specific questions that they'd like to ask you. Sure. Um, I, I've been in, I mean, my background long term, I've been in the, the energy industry uh, for my whole career, uh, going on 20 some years now. Uh, used to always try to round up and now I'm trying to round down <laughs> as I get older. Uh, I'm familiar with that yes. scenario, yeah. yeah so, uh, but I, you know, I've, I've uh, been focusing in, in, in natural gas uh, for, for most of my career and most recently I've been doing consulting work um, for both uh, for landowners, for financial entities, um, for estate planners, um, do work for the uh, industry participants themselves. So it's uh, you know there there's a, an aspect that um, you know I work with uh, with pretty much everybody involved in the in the uh, in the industry. So um, so we will do anything from you know valuation work uh, for landowners or for specific en entities. Uh, we'll take a look at um, actually you know brokering um, for if that if that's appropriate for people that we've done valuation work for. Um, do a fair amount of uh, market research, market studies. Um, so it's um, kind of pretty much uh, anything that, that's involved in the gas industry. And uh, we've, we've, we focus largely in the Marcells and Utica area. Uh, but we have done, done projects um, across the country and, and uh, uh, for both U.S. entities and for, uh, for international entities as well. So... Uh, we have a very broad uh, client base. So it, uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, you can reach me at 412-258-5262, um, or you can send, a, uh, send an email uh, to jgb at bertison-george.com. Joe, listen, I appreciate everything you've done to be here. Uh, every time I've worked with you, it's been, uh, it's been a treat, and, and everything that you've done for me has been on the highest level of quality. I really appreciate it. And uh, listen, folks, uh, uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening to the Legal Podcast Network. Look for upcoming episodes and links on our website.
and follow us on Twitter at PodcastPGH. Thank you.